Friday the 11th of November. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines. Are we seeing progress on greenwashing and climate finance at COP27? And away from COP, Just Stop Oil is causing havoc on England's motorway, but there's no sign of gas production stopping. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn. COP27 is well underway and we'll be updating you with the latest developments from Egypt. And I'm delighted to be joined this week by Anna Pringle. Anna, how are you keeping? I am good. Thanks, Dara. And after a couple of weeks away, Kira Daly has returned to the Climate Alarm Clock. Come on, guys. Where's the drum roll? I need like a, a symphony for my return. Um, hey guys, sorry. how are you? Good to see you again. You too, you too. Um, Great to have you back, Kira. How are you feeling Thanks, about Anna. being back and diving into all the cop stuff, Kira? Oh, I'm a mixed bag. I'm apprehensive and I'm excited. It, I know, I re, you know, it's not so long that I forget the feeling that you're like doing something by learning about it, and that's good. But I'm also aware that in order to get to that point, you have to. You have to feel a bit bad for a while, you don't you? So suffer, Kira. You have to suffer. Yeah, yeah. But I am more than the the excitement and the happiness to be back with my two favourite people is definitely Ooh. winning over. <laughs> um, thanks, Kira. Thank you very We're much. Feeling the love, Kira. Um, Good. <laughs> so a lot, a lot has a lot has happened to Cop already, I suppose. Uh, will we dive straight into it and we can share our thoughts as we go along? Sure, Dara. Let's do it. So many thoughts. Um, So I suppose we might start from the Irish perspective and the big news there was on Tuesday Micheál Martin gave a speech um, which he said a lot of great things will we have a bit of a listen to some of the things he said? Sure, why not? Let's go for it, I'm ready to be moved As leaders we must lead our citizens will become increasingly cynical weary and hopeless if words are not urgently matched by deeds, if commitments do not generate new realities. We can already see and feel the world around us changing. Temperatures in Ireland have been so mild this autumn that trees are producing new growth before they have even shed their leaves. We in Ireland will do everything in our power to bring it about. This generation of leaders cannot say that we didn't know. The science is clear. Every tonne of carbon warms the world. Every delay makes our task that bit bigger. Let us not waste a second more. Thank you very much indeed. Amazing. (laughs) Right, what did he say? He called us cynical, is that right? Uh, he said, "If leaders talk and um, don't lead, don't, people become cynical. Don't follow with action. That there's a danger of people becoming cynical." Um, well, I think I'm in very much in that danger zone right now. <laughs> listening to that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think he gave a great speech last year as well. Um, okay, was this the exact same speech, or is this one different? I was looking at the similarities. There were some things that were incredibly similar, um, but yeah. So I mean, I think it was a bit ironic saying that citizens will become cynical if leaders aren't leading while he is talking a cop and doing very little else. Um, yeah. I mean, I just wanted, as I was listening to it, I just wanted to add turf in the middle of it. Like, you know, we must lead and stop cutting turf. Or, you know, we must lead every tonne of carbon that comes out of our bogs. Because you know what, they didn't, I don't remember him leading much on that issue 
you know, whenever that controversy was, what, about six months ago? Yeah, and then I saw some, there was a comment on Twitter as well where people talking about, you know, he's there talking about leaves coming out on trees in November while other countries are flooding and, and people are dying and the, the place of privilege he's coming from with that. Yes, it was a little tone deaf. Um, so what's got you guys so cynical about this? Why, like, is he not saying what he should be saying? Okay, so he, yeah, he is saying exactly what he should be saying. Um, and he said it last year as well, and he did nothing. Yeah. And he's not going to be Taoiseach when the next cop even comes around, so there's no accountability. Um, and it really annoys me just in general that I don't think I've seen Michal Martin talking about climate change anywhere on yeah. any news show, on any current affairs show since the last cop. Um, yeah. And and I hate the way it gets coverage, and it's like, oh, look what he said, isn't it great? And then it's forgotten about until the next year. Um, yeah. Now, to be fair, most of the coverage I've seen of it has been quite critical of the fact that he hasn't done much. But what it reminds me of is it reminds me of the way um, the way people in Ireland go to mass, the way young children, yeah. they don't go to mass year round and then they get the communion when they're in second class and they get the confirmation when they're in sixth class and they have their days out. Um, and what's, that's the phrase, what's the phrase that came up la- last week? The bouncy castle Catholics. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. So Michal um, is a bouncy cop climate leader. Exactly. You know? That he just shows up for the for the big day, for the photo opportunity, and doesn't do, you know, like the way those kids they don't go to mass every week, which <laughs> I don't care if people are Catholic or not, but they 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 show up, they they do their thing for the big occasions, and then don't do yeah, and don't do anything in between. And I think that is exactly the what is happening. I mean, for him to start by saying leaders should lead, I completely agree, <clears throat> but we haven't seen the leadership from him on any of the domestic Irish issues around climate change, yeah. whether that's standing up to the farming lobby, whether it's as we said earlier, the bugs, you know, um, we're not seeing any leadership. Yeah, and, 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 and I think there is the danger that, you know, COP is held to this really, you know, it's held to this really important thing with all these leaders saying these things, but like leadership and climate action isn't making a speech at COP. It is doing the things week on week, day on day, month on month to actually get emissions down. And, you know, COP isn't all these people showing up and seeing this big climate action switch and all the leaders being like, oh, should we press that switch now? It's climate leadership is conveying to your citizens on a regular basis the urgency of the need to change and supporting people to make those changes rather than these kind of empty words. Yeah, I mean, look at Mary Robinson by contrast. I mean, every word, every every time she speaks, she talks about the crisis and she uses her platform to try and, and make other people hear the message and understand it better. And she's done that consistently for, what, 20 years now? Yeah, there have been, yeah, been a couple of times where I've seen her being interviewed and, and the people interviewing her didn't want her to be talking about climate change and she did anyways, which was, yeah, um, good to see rather than just talking about it when you're speaking to the whole world. Yeah, and f- also flying into Egypt to do that. Mm. Yeah. So is it a good thing that he went to COP or is it just a, or is it a bad thing or is it just a, a, a nothing? Uh, if it leads to actual action uh, and he actually follows up on what he says, then it's a good thing. But he's not even going to be Taoiseach in a couple of months. So, you know, um, 
I I think it's a nothing thing. I think it makes no difference to to much. Yeah. I am so glad to be back with you guys. Bringing me all the good news. Um, <laughs> Feeling so <laughs> empowered. <laughs> well, you know you love us, really. I know. It is good to be aware of it. In contrast, Kira, I would say one good thing about COP is that we do get to hear people from the global south. We do get to hear people from affected countries also speaking and getting their perspective across. And that is something that I think is really valuable. Um, People who listen to the Climate Alarm Clock last year will remember or might remember us talking about the Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, who gave a, a brilliant speech back then. And she gave another amazing speech um, this year it's a it's 13 minutes long it's well worth the watch on youtube where she's talking about just global injustice in general i think even if climate change wasn't a problem the issues she's talking about around global debt around global financing are really important and and really um good to have to raise in general will we have a little listen to some of to some of her yeah, let's yes, hear me. Yes, it's uplifting. Let's go for it. There needs to be peace because countries like ours continue to suffer as a result of a war that we have no part of and a war that we want to see come to an end. Our people on this earth deserve better. And what is more, our leaders know better. Because while many of us may not have been alive during the great wars, the consequences of those wars still live with us, and we have the capacity to choose differently. I ask the people of the world, and not just the leaders, therefore, to hold us accountable and to ask us to act in your name to save this earth and to save the people of this earth. The choice is ours. What will you do? What will you choose to save? Thank you. That gave me chills. Yeah. I have a question for you too. Why are you a fan of Mia Motley? And as a, I get the sense, not a big fan of Michal Martin. Because they both said, it's, you know, what they're saying is the same message. Uh, so that's only a little clip, first of all, of both speeches. Um there is a real justice, a real strong justice element from what Mia Motley is saying. She's really talking about affected peoples. As I said earlier, she talks about the global injustice of the way the world is financed. So some of the things that she says that didn't make it into that clip I showed, she says, this world looks still too much like it did when it was part of an imperialistic empire. She talks about borrowing rates um, of developed countries versus developing countries. She asks, how do companies make 200 billion in profits in the last three months and not expect to contribute at least 10 cents in every dollar in profit to a loss and damage fund? So she's really calling out people who aren't doing enough. Um, she's really getting into specifics more so than our, our fellow, is it? Uh, yes. It's kind of just using flowery language. And but she's also coming from the perspective of a small island nation that is threatened by mm-hmm. climate change and sea level rise and a colonial a post colonial country that has been has had has gone through as we are too, but And and the other thing I suppose like Michal Martin is talking about all 
these things that we have in Ireland, like our carbon targets and all that kind of stuff. And he gave a great speech last year as well. And since then, emissions have actually gone up rather than gone down. So yeah. um, a lot of double speak from him. But it is, when it comes to climate change and climate action, it is the voices of affected peoples that we need to be hearing and listening hearing. to. Um, and that is one one silver lining of COP, however however cynical it might be about yep. the, the whole process. And just to clarify, the people attending COP, they are other world leaders, yeah? Uh, yeah, so there's a mixture. So a mixture. So there's world leaders. Um, what was notable, there was a picture taken on the first day um, that was nearly all men. So out of the 110 world leaders at COP27, only seven are women. Um, wow. which is staggering. And then there's all sorts of uh, diplomats, scholars, academics, delegates. And really bad news on the COP front this year is that there's the record number of fossil fuel lobbyists at this year's COP compared to other COPs. Um, over 600 fossil fuel lobbyists. Yeah, and last year there were more delegates at COP26 associated with the fossil fuel industry than from any single country. And that's a global witness assessed the participant list and said that, as reported by the BBC. Uh, right, so we're basically <laughs> inviting the people who are robbing us around to the meeting to find out how we're going to stop getting robbed, is it? Well, isn't it interesting? Like, what do you think, why is it worth their while going to COP? Mm. What do you think they're trying to achieve? They're trying to help us, Anna. Right. Will don't we? you know the fossil fuel industry? <laughs> yes, they're focusing on renewable energy. That's it. I knew it. I will not have a bad word said about them here. <laughs> will we? Um, will we try and find a couple of a couple of good things uh, that are yes, coming please. out of COP? Um, one is uh, very early aims to put an end to greenwashing. Um, so there was a high level expert group on the net zero emissions commitments of non-state entities. So basically. That's a group tasked with looking at businesses and corporations that make net zero commitments. You know, how do we know that they're actually legitimate? Um, so it's an expert group who s produced a report on how to make actual net zero pledges. So they've 10 recommendations and it includes stuff like um, businesses with net zero plans must not su support new supply of fossil fuels. So basically all petrol and oil companies who have net zero pledges by 2050 are also still exploring new fossil fuel sources so by this new recommendation they would not be real net zero pledges um and similarly if you have a net zero pledge under these this sort of framework non-state actors so that's businesses or whatever must lobby for positive climate action and not against it so it's really wow. focusing on getting emissions down offsetting as little as possible um and making sure that your net zero pledges are actually in line with with the paris agreement targets and the ipcc report so it's the starting point of being way more stringent on what net zero actually means so yeah in terms of how that ever becomes a thing i think it will be a, it'll take a country to take leadership and say you know if a country if a company in our country says they're net zero they have to follow these steps but it is a really good starting point at least i think okay so this is like a report of how these experts suggest we roll this out and then it's up to the countries to actually make this a law for it to be followed by the companies within their 
yeah 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 so i don't yeah so i don't know where it would go next in terms of of regulation to be to be perfectly honest but um but it is good that these recommendations were put together by an international expert group well i mean Michal said he's you know he's ready to make steps so surely this is going to be a law when he comes home i'd imagine exactly exactly well you know you can you, (laughs) you can say just that to him now Okay, I'm going to text him. <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting one because there's so much greenwashing in that sector. Um, in all in, sectors, in, in I'd every, say. Sorry, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say in every sector, and there's so much greenwashing in the sustainability, net yeah. zero plans and so on. Um, you know, so I think calling that out and making it harder to greenwash it or at least yeah. equipping people with the right questions to ask about it exactly. is positive. Yeah, so for something like a bank, for example, um, if a bank has net zero plans and they also have connections to fossil fuel companies who are still exploring new fossil fuels, then, you know, they'll really have to choose between supporting these fossil fuel companies or wanting net zero. They they won't be able to have both. Right. Um and then the other, well, good news, possibly bad news, is around the idea of... No, of, only good news. <laughs> <laughs> ...of climate finance. Um, so we've talked in the past about um, about the responsibility of developed countries to provide money, um, to provide finance for climate action to countries in the global south. And this stems back to 2009, I think the cop that was in Copenhagen, where there was a pledge of 100 billion per year from the global north to the global south for climate um, finance. Right, clarify something for me. Global north, global south, what's the difference? Uh, so glo- so global north would or would be what you'd refer to as sort of developed countries. So um, Europe, okay. uh, US, Canada, Australia. Um, global south then is, is countries that are developing. Yeah, so that funding never really materialized. And then there has been a lot of talk about loss and damage. So that basically countries where they suffer huge damage as a result of climate disasters there should be funding from developed countries for this uh, and it's a really contentious issue because some countries are afraid that if they fund this for loss and damage that it becomes a sort of compensation thing and they then become liable for damage from climate events in the future so it's this really technical horrible inhumane thing but what we have seen so it's not just this thing that we're in the global north and we are a bit more well off so we should help them because they're a little less well off it's because the reason they are in the position they are in is because of the damage that the global north has done to put them in that situation is that right and is and is continuing to do yes yeah yeah, okay, absolutely. so it's not just like we should help them out because it's the right thing to do. It's we should help them out because we put them in this position in the first place. Well, it's both. It's 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 both. Um, and and some countries are very very reluctant to say we're helping them out because it's our fault because of the because of how that could. They don't want to admit liability. Yeah, yeah, but the liability is there as what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. What we have seen at this COP is that New Zealand, Germany, Belgium, Scotland, Denmark and Austria have all committed money to a loss and damage fund. So it's 
not a whole lot of money. It ranges from two two and a half million euro from Belgium to 170 million euro from Germany, but it is at least acknowledging the legitimacy of that fund and of those sort of requests from global south countries so that is and china also supports the notion of paying loss and damage compensation although they were also quick to point out that it's not their obligation but they're willing to make a contribution and then what i was saying about the bad news was that a finance for climate action report came out and it said that by the year 2030 developing countries will need two trillion dollars a year to mitigate and adapt to climate change. So in contrast to the 100 billion pledge from Copenhagen, that was just kind of a figure picked out of the air. This one, it's been calculated what are the, what is the amount of money that will be needed, you know, for renewables, for climate adaptation, for loss and damage. And they've come up with $2 trillion a year. So it's expected that developing countries will be able to provide half of that finance from their own finances. But the other trillion um, would need to be coming from developed countries. So it's... Do we know any trillionaires? (laughs) Yeah, well, Elon Musk is not heading that direction at the moment, but... um when, I mean, when will, what, by what time, I know you said this at the beginning, but by when will it need to be two trillion? By, so the report says by the year 2030, it will be two, wow. it'll be two trillion dollars uh, per year um, with yeah, half of that needing to come from, from developed countries. So, you know, climate finance loss and damage has become a huge issue. Uh, has always been a huge issue. I really recommend watching Mia Motley's video to get a bit more insight into into the systems that developing countries are up against in that regard. And it's obviously going to continue to be a huge issue if that's the level of funding that's going to be that's going to be needed. But um, I suppose the but good news from this COP is the is the loss and damage finance. But we also need to think that funding as investment as well. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, let's tax the hell out of the oil companies to fund it, for example. Um, but also there will be a lot of positives that will come out of having renewable energy. We'll have more jobs in that sector, etc. You know, so it's not entirely just, oh, we have to spend this and so it's lost down the drain. It's not. It's yeah. positive if it's spent. Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely, Anna. Um, Thank you, Anna. And uh, and it is it is also that stuff that it's... <laughs> uh, what am I trying to say? And a lot of that funding will be going into preventative things that will cost less money in the long run right. as well. Um, right. Which is super important. Exactly. I mean, and there's an example. Um, we're not doing the, enough. Fi- the, the, the thing about that two trillion is starting now and doing it faster will have a better effect as well. Yeah. And like, so there was an example this week where last year France and Germany signed loan agreements with South Africa to help them reduce their reliance on coal. And they signed 600 million euro loan agreements last year, which sounds good be helpful for them but guess what a year later it's still being negotiated so no money has changed hands they're still negotiating the terms of that loan agreement so that's no use to south africa that's not getting them off coal fast enough yeah you know so so we need to be seeing more action more quickly on those things yeah for sure for sure another Um, one for me hall in ireland when he gets back yeah, yeah, you'll have he's a lovely. Be, he's 
going to be flat out. How is he going to go around and open them pennies? He, he won't have time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I suppose there have been, we're recording this on Thursday and there have been some protests starting outside of COP, uh, but it's a lot more difficult um, in Egypt than it was in Glasgow. But we are seeing some uh, pretty incredible direct action in the UK and the Netherlands specifically. So Anna, you were quite taken by the Just Stop Oil protests, I think. Yeah, I mean, they have been shutting down the M25 um, in the UK this week. I think they've done it like three days in a row at this point. But I'm very taken by their bravery in doing it for a start because they're climbing up on the gantries. You know the gantries on the signs over the motorway? They're climbing up on those gantries and I don't know if they're chaining themselves to them or what. Uh, And you've got people making videos going, I'm terrified of heights, but I think it's really important to be here. And, And they're stopping traffic. And there is absolute just condemnation of them in the UK as a result, um, because they're stopping traffic. But it's, I, th- I think personally it's a very brave action that they're taking and they are putting it in the headlines, they're getting attention. Um, whether you agree with their tactics or not, I think they're very brave. I do too. I used to not get it until we you did that interview with Etienne Stott, Dara, where he explained kind of the idea behind these types of protests if you don't know what I'm talking about there's a little plug go back and listen it's well worth it um yeah I just can't help not look at them and not think wow you are like so exactly what you said Anna like that they're so brave Mm. and I really have a lot of admiration for them which is something even but yeah before I got involved with this podcast I would definitely not have said I would have just thought it was stupid yeah, yeah and, and, it, and it is disruptive. I mean, people are being delayed in traffic, although I saw somebody commenting that um, until this week, they didn't realise that everybody who uses the M25 is on their way to an urgent hospital appointment. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, because like the only people apparently, he was complaining that the only people being interviewed by the media are people who have like, you know, sick grannies or on their way to hospital yeah. appointments or whatever, you know. So, um, so, you know, the media are obviously cherry picking that. And it is inconvenient and nobody wants to be sitting in traffic jams, but it ha- it is getting a lot of attention. And, yeah. you know, e- everybody knows the name Just Stop Oil at this point. Yeah. The one yeah. the one that really caught my eye this week was, if we think back to a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the people throwing paint at the sunflowers and the paintings and some of the rebuttals was, you know, why aren't they stopping people with private jets? Why are they, what's the point in targeting art? Why aren't they stopping people with private jets? Some people in the Netherlands did just that in Schiphol <laughs> Airport where a big gang of people, there seemed to be loads of them, got in on their bikes and uh, sat in front of private jets and uh, managed to stop some of the flights of private jets. So I thought that was wow. an amazing. And the videos are great to watch. All these people on bikes on the runway uh, being chased by security. Um, so amazing. Um it was a very Dutch protest, all right, with the bikes. But it was, but yeah. It was again... <laughs> And you know, again, no one can complain go, about that, I think, you know, targeting no, private they, jets. But, well, I bet there are people delayed in Schiphol who are complaining about it. But, but you know, these people are having the courage to take bold action and get out there and do those things. I, I don't have that courage, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of very impressed with them and in awe of them, you know. And, and th- Go on, Kira. 
Well, I was just going to say, I mean, though in t- my like the reason they are obviously doing this is because they are obviously so exasperated by just trying to get people to pay attention. And obviously we admire them because they are getting people to pay attention. Um and it can be frustrating when people are being outraged by the fact that um you know they're being held up in the traffic or their private jet has been delayed by an hour that is very annoying i can't you know i know how many times i've been held up in my private jet and i've been really ticked off (laughs) but uh (laughs) the point i'm trying to get to is that i think a lot of that anger comes from um around it is like that that oh what am i trying to say are you trying to say that people are outraged at them, but they're not outraged at the lack of action on our planet being destroyed? They're not outraged at forests being yes. cut down. They're not outraged at people drowning in Pakistan. They're not outraged at people starving in Somalia. That's exactly what I'm trying to say, Dara. <laughs> um, well said, Kira. <laughs> you said yeah, that really well. That's a really good point, Kira. <laughs> Um, Thanks. Yeah, I think I think that's it, and I think I think it kind of dovetails quite well with Michal Martin going with all his bluster at cop and not actually doing anything, and these people realizing maybe that that whole system is broken, and we need radical, rapid change and a much greater awareness of these issues among the general public. So, as Mia Motley said, we can hold our leaders to account. Yeah, And so while those people are doing something to get the message out there, just to give them their, their moment, what is the message? I mean, just stop while, what, what, it's pretty obvious in the name, but give them their moment. What is it that they want? They want no new fossil fuel infrastructure in the UK, uh, pri- pr- primarily. So no new fossil fuel exploration, no new fossil fuel infrastructure, which is just a starting point. Like we need to... S- and, and yeah, I do think there's, there's a, there is a sense out there sometimes people go, but look, everybody knows this. Isn't action being taken? Why do these people need to do this? But we saw a few reports this week that really demonstrate why they need to do it. Like, so there was a a report that came out and a lot of these reports are timed around COP, which makes sense. But it found that, and the, the headline that they used was that they found that oil and gas firms are planning frightening frightening fossil fuel growth so while all this protest is going on while cop is going on the oil and gas companies around the world are planning further exploitation of fossil fuels they have been pouring 160 billion dollars into exploration since 2020 so i don't know what uh, fraction of a trillion 160 billion is but if that had been put into the stuff we were talking about earlier instead of into exploring for fossil fuels we'd all be much better off. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, and yeah. A, yeah. And 96% of oil exploration companies and production companies have expansion plans and they've increased those expansion plans since 2021. So for all the talk, this is what's actually happening out there. Yeah. 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 And so I suppose that that ties together a few things that we were saying in that a lot of those companies will have their net zero plans. Uh, under these new greenwashing things, they won't be able to claim their net zero as long as they have expansion plans. Or they have their charming CEO telling us how they're creating a greener 
planet and you know who we're talking about Kira. Um, Shout out to my main man, my main man <laughs> Bernie Loons. Exactly. <laughs> but meanwhile, this is what's going on. And then Climate Action Tracker also came out with a report and they're talking about the gold rush for gas and how that's continuing. And so some of these companies, what they've done is they're using the Ukraine war and the, sh- the so-called shortage of gas as an excuse to bring in more gas into Europe, to exp- to produce more gas. And it's actually not necessary to do that. Um, yeah even though that, you know, they're trying to talk about energy security and so on. But Climate Action Tracker has pointed out that it is counterproductive. It means we will miss our um, Paris Agreement plans. We will not be able to stay to 1.5 degrees limit if we keep doing that. And, and it's not necessary to do it. Yeah, so, exactly. That's these the thing. guys have got a point. Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, I was listening to um, another podcast during the week and there was a guy on who is, um, he's actually a trader, an oil and gas trader. So you could say... A trader like you listening to another podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's he's a trader. He's a leading trader. Pierre Andrand, his name is. Um, He's French, as the name suggests. But... He was, he's done an analysis of the European gas market. And, you know, we're talking about we have to bring in LNG and blah, blah, whatever. He did an, did an analysis and he said that if everybody in Europe took their average indoor temperature from 22 degrees, which is standard, down to 19 degrees, that that would bring down the demand by 30% relative to previous years. And that was that is all we need to do to not need Russian gas, he says. And that's wow. based on, that's an expert in the gas market. So you have to ask, why is there a gold rush? Why is there this push to bring in more LNG? You know, it's taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, that's a good way of, of summing it up. It's it's opportunists who probably know that, you know, the end of their industry is on the way one way or another. And yep. just trying to milk every last pound Drop. and euro and dollar that they can out of it. Yeah. Before we go, any thoughts on actions that people can take this week? I have an action. Go on. And my action is to take it easy. I have found in conversations that I've been having lately with people is that there is a really kind of sense of people are feeling really, really overwhelmed with life in the last few weeks, myself included. And... I think it's like a thing that we all were expecting to go back into life before lockdown. And in the last few weeks, it's starting to settle in that that's not ever going to happen. And we're all kind of experiencing this collective, I'm going to say it, trauma. And I think in having conversations with people and finding out that I'm not the only one that feels like this, I have been able to be a lot easier on myself and get through the week a lot nicer. So I would just say if you are someone who has been feeling like me of late, just take it easy on yourself because (laughs) we've been through the ringer the last few years, guys. So sit back and relax. Have an ice cream. That's my action. (laughs) Um, I was going to say something similar, actually, Kira, in that there's so much going on with COP. There's so much information out there. That, you know, take that as an opportunity to just learn stuff, um, to regroup. And then also what I think is really nice is, you know, if there is stuff you're doing, if there are actions you're taking to use COP to sort of see the whole big picture 
and really understand the meaning and the importance of the little actions if you've changed the way that you get around or if you're planning to change the way that you move around or you've changed your diet or you're planning to change it. That is all really important. We do need the transformative action will be involving us changing our lifestyles. So if you're on that path, be aware of how connected that is to the big picture that's being discussed at COP and keep going. Yeah, I think that's great. So our action for this week is we're going to channel Michal Martin and we're going to take it easy (laughs) and and not act. Um, That's good. I like that. but the uh, yeah, yeah. Um, if you do want to take a more sort of systemic action, then obviously email Michal Martin and compliment him on his amazing speech and uh, tell him that you'll be in touch with him in another month or two to see what he followed up on in terms of these things that he said. Or if you want to, I love that. Get in touch with Leo Varadkar and say, you know, you're going to be Taoiseach in a month or two. Your predecessors really lay down the gauntlet there. What are you planning to do? And uh, preemptively get in touch with uh, Leo Varadkar. Good stuff. Great. Um, that is it for this week. Anna and Kira. it's been uh, lovely chatting with you. Real season two vibes here. Um <laughs> If you do like our podcast, please make sure to uh, give it a review wherever you listen. Or another little climate action you can do is share this podcast with somebody. Um, do follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter at The Climate Alarm. If you want to email us, you can email us at climatealarmclock at gmail.com. That's it. We'll see you with more COP and climate news next week. Excellent. <laughs> Go take it easy, Kira and Dara. Back on the horse, guys. Back on the horse. <laughs>